Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. The sixth hour, darkness. And in that darkness, Jesus cries out. Jesus cries out a statement that is shocking, if you think about it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Much is made of that statement that is not quite correct. Because oftentimes that statement is misunderstood. It's taken out of context. And as usual, when we take things out of context, we end up attributing to them a meaning that is not quite the meaning that they have. We need to understand that, though, because what's going on here? Is God fragmented? It's all of a sudden now the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is one in essence, and in being, three in persons, now all of a sudden fragmented, divided, separated. See, we have a little problem with that. I'm sure you, you, you see that. Some people present there, they didn't quite understand what he was saying, and I'm not surprised because some of the soldiers present around there would not know Hebrew very well. They would probably know Latin very well because they were Roman soldiers. They would probably know Greek because it was a language that was uniting the world known by these people at that time. But probably not so much Hebrew or Aramaic. Some of them began saying he's calling for Elijah. Maybe they didn't hear him very well. I don't think that Jesus spoke very clearly at that moment because he was in the agony of pain. And in order to speak, he would have to pull himself up on the cross, catch a breath, and then shout those words. They mocked him again. And then he cried out again. We know from Luke what he cried out again. The phrase, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And when he died, all sorts of things happened. The curtain of a temple was ripped open. Very significant event, by the way, because the curtain of the temple indicated a separation between God and us. But now that separation was torn, ripped away. God had done what he 
came to do and made us one with it. Of all the people that saw what happened, a centurion made a statement. Interestingly enough, a centurion makes the statement in fear. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, in our theology, in our Christian theology, sometimes I'm afraid that we create a few problems. William Paul Young gives us a clear picture of a common problem. And yet, it's a very, also a very common concept, common as much as wrong, that has been misleading all too many Christians. As he states, and I like the way he worded it, I think it's succinct, it's clear, it makes the point, so here it is. We have this idea that God comes to us and says, you and I have a problem. Your behavior does not meet up to the standards required, but I have a solution. For you and I to be okay, I'm going to take my innocent son, whom I love more than anything else in the world, out of a woodshed, and I'm going to kill him. And then you and I will be okay. Oh, by the way, trust me. Hold on. What's wrong with that picture? I'll tell you what's wrong with the picture. The same thing I hear from several people, and I've heard recently from several people asking, why would God the Father be so mean and so harsh to kill his son? Yeah, you see, there is a lack of understanding there. There is a real theological problem that needs to be clarified. Because it's not at all the way that it seems to be. And it's not the way that is described in that statement that William Paul Young uses to point out that we have a problem in the way we look at things. Yeah, trust a God who is willing to pull out his beloved son and kill him to resolve a problem. Trust me, he says. Because, of course, I'm not going to turn my back on you. But I will turn my back on my own only begotten son, on the son I love the most. In fact, well, you can go on and on and on with that. But somehow we seem to have concocted an idea of a God that we cannot trust. We seem to have created a God who, in order to resolve a problem, is willing to abandon his own son, turning away from him. And see, the issue that that is not the God of the Bible. As I was saying, that that is described in these thoughts is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of Scripture. It's not the God that has revealed himself to us. So let's understand what is going on here? Let us understand the meaning of the statement that Jesus shouted at the cross, uttered at the cross. But let's do it this way. Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us. It's a story that includes our turning away from God at one point or another because we're all sinners. And that means that we have all turned our back to God at one point or another. We all have a story that includes questions and doubts. It's only if we are not honest that we're going to say, I never had a question, I never had a doubt, I never questioned God, I never questioned this thing that we call Christianity and what God has done. We have questions. Sometimes we have doubts. We all have a story that includes our lives with its joyful moments and as well as its pain. The story includes our sufferings. Real, 
sufferings. Not fake, not invented, not made up, not just something that we come up with concocted in order to, to appear a little more righteous to others because, oh, you know, I suffered more than you did. No, real, heartfelt, gut-wrenching pain that we experience emotionally and physically sometimes. That story includes our losses. Losses of things. Losses of resources. Losses of loved ones. Empty space around us that doesn't seem to be filled by anything. And our stories include a sense of being forsaken. They include moments when in our pain, in our sorrow, in our anguish, we look around ourselves and we, and we feel like shouting those psalms that say, How long, Lord? How long is it going to be before you finally answered, answer my prayers? How long is it going to be before you remove this pain? How long is it going to be until I have a little bit of peace in my heart, in my mind? How long? Or maybe the question turns into another question. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? But you see, your story is not the only story in the picture. There is another story there too, and that's the story of God. A God who stated, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And unless God is a liar, and you and I know that he is not, then if we think that he forsook his only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah, then, then we have something wrong in the picture. God does not forsake us. God does not abandon us, ever. We may turn away from him. We may be looking at something else. We may be looking in a different direction and perceive the absence of God in that direction because it's the wrong direction to begin with. We may have turned our back to him and alienated ourselves from him in some way, in some how, and then... Question him, where are you, God? I don't see you. I don't experience you. I don't experience your presence. I don't experience your blessing. I don't experience your joy. What is going on? Where are you? And it hurts. It hurts deep. When the day gets long, when the agony continues, when it seems like there is no relief, no peace, no way out, we are trapped. In that situation, we are trapped in that pain. We are trapped in that sorrow. We are trapped in that despair. And then we look up and we don't feel anything. We don't perceive anything. And so we, we come up with these questions. Even though something within us tells us that the question is wrong. Something within us tells us it's not quite the right question to ask God, where are you? The story of Jesus is the story of God not just of a man. The story of Jesus is a story of God who atones for us. A God who takes human form. A God that is born like one of us. A God who is willing to change himself for us. And he begins at Bethlehem. It's a story of a man, but not just a man. It's a story of God who is fully God, but also fully man.
And in the person of Jesus, God penetrates our reality, God penetrates our world, our existence, including our estrangement from God. And just like he took our sin upon himself and made it his own, he who was sinless took your sin and my sin upon himself and made it his own, to the point of confessing it for us. And so he has taken also our estrangement from God upon himself and took it for us. Let me be clear about this. Jesus is God, period. There's no question about that in Scripture. It's as clear as it can be. But Jesus is not this superhuman who is not touched by pain and suffering. Jesus is not this super being who is not affected by the things you and I are affected by, is he? He is also fully human, not some superhuman, not some superman. He was not impervious to temptation. He was not impervious to suffering. And he fully experienced your frailty and my frailty. Our weakness was not strange to him. He lived among people who felt like God had forsaken them. I mean, look at, at Judah back in those days. Where are you, God? When are you going to free us from the Romans? Where are you going to give us the freedom, the, the dream that we have of your kingdom through your king, a descendant of David, and free from these invaders? that are causing anguish and suffering and pain. Others were longing for God in a different way. They sensed that something was wrong in Judah at that time, and they, and they had fervor to bring back the God of Israel into the life of Judah. Others longed for God in a different way because they were sick and afflicted and infirm like the man at the pool, for 30 years next to the pool looking for a healing. Jesus took upon himself our sin and paid a price for it. Not just externally, not just physically, but in the depths of his soul, in the depths of his being as well. And it is in the depths of his being that he has taken our misery and our lost and forsaken condition and made it his own for us making himself lost and forsaken for us, taking our separateness upon himself so that he would experience our despair. And in that experience, he took that despair, he brought it to the Father and healed it there. Yes, he took your despair he took your anguish. He took your doubt. Brought it up to the Father and healed it there. Are you lonely? Some of us are. Very much so. I don't think my son would mind me saying that. He has experienced several bad relationships that have left him wounded. And from time to time he says, Father, I... Dad... I don't ask for anything in life, but I am so alone. Do you know 
that in the deepest loneliness you experience, you are not alone? Because Christ experienced that for you, with you. Vicariously, it's a big term. That means with you and for you. He carried that loneliness on himself. That alienation that you feel sometimes from everything and everything else and everyone else, he carried that on himself for you. To heal that. To give you something different. So that even in your loneliness, you will never be alone. Because he will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. When Christ suffered, he was not just putting on a show, you know. He really suffered just like we do. Yes, sometimes when I'm in pain, and I'm familiar with pain. I try not to show it, but I am quite familiar with pain. Sometimes when I'm in pain, I say, oh, how long is it going to be until it, this stops? Have you ever felt that way? You know, How long is it going to take before this stops? I want it to stop. I want it to stop right now. In fact, I want it to stop yesterday. And then he continues. He felt that sense of urgency too. He wanted the pain and the agony and the anguish to stop as well, just like we do. But he accepted it. Because it was your pain that he was carrying to heal it in the Father. He, the Holy Spirit, and the Father were never apart at that moment. During all those things that he went through, from Bethlehem to the crucifixion to the resurrection has never been a moment where God has split himself, where God has divided himself, where God has fragmented himself. The Father and the Son are one. The Holy Spirit is one. God is one. Yes, in three persons, but one. And that oneness has never been broken. So how do we understand those words? How do we understand that cry that he had? Because it is in the art of feelings, in God's forsakenness, that the Lord voice, voiced his lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First of all, now this is an early wording. Hey, you God out there somewhere. What happened to you? Where did you go? Why have you forsaken me? No, he didn't say that. He said, my God. My God. That relationship was not broken. But he did say the words, why have you forsaken me? And you know, if we were looking just at that, with no background, we would not be able to understand what's going on here. But there is a background. And the background is the fact that every Jew present at the crucifixion, every Jew that heard that statement, every Jew that heard that phrase that Jesus uttered from the cross knew exactly what he was saying. Because he started a psalm with those words. Let me show you. Please pay attention for a second. Because I'm going to say, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. What's in your mind now? What is in your mind? Don't you have the rest of the words of a song? Didn't I bring back to your memory a song that you know very well, that you're very familiar with? 
And so it was for the Jews who kept singing the this, this Psalms in, in the synagogues and at the temple. And Psalm 22 was very familiar to them. And when Jesus started that Psalm with those words, they knew what the rest of the words were. Every respectable Jew would know that Psalm. And here's what the song said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. And yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and delivered, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lips. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. And yet, you are he who brought me forth from a womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joy. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is a psalm, by the way, hundreds of years before these events actually happened. But you, Lord, be not far off. O oh, you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from a sword, my only life from the power of a dog. Save me from a lion's mouth, from the horns of a wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. And now there is something amazing. In verse 24 of Psalm 22 is the answer to our questions. In verse 1, it starts by saying, My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? But in verse 24, he says, For he has not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. You get it? Jesus was quoting a psalm of deliverance, a messianic psalm of deliverance. Jesus was caring about you. 
Can we see that? How even in that moment, he wanted to comfort the people around him, the people who seemed to be despaired at the fact that their Messiah, that their Lord, was being killed. He thought of you. And he said, he thought of you, he gave you reassurance through a psalm of deliverance. A psalm that says, even when everything seems lost, when everything seems absolutely in utter despair, when your mind no longer makes sense of things, when your heart craves for an answer from God, God hears you. God hears you in Egypt and sends deliverance. God hears you in Judah and sends a deliverance. God hears you today and sends a deliverance. And the rest of the Psalm 22, it's considered by even in the second chapter of Hebrews, is used in terms of Jesus' resurrection and how in his resurrection, in his life now, he praises God and he causes everyone to praise God. And how all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All of the family of the nations will worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Wow. This is not a song of defeat. It is a song of triumph. And when Jesus said those words... He basically gave us a message, and the message was, you think I'm being defeated here. You think that everything is lost in here, but actually, we are triumphing. It's a song of triumph. It's a song of hope. It's a song of redemption. That same Lord was nailed to the cross. It's now the blessing of all the nations, which will worship before him, as everyone will declare his righteousness. So what difference does it make for us? I think it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Because when we are in those moments, when we are in the moments where we feel like crying and shouting out, God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? When I'm going to have some relief from this, that I'm experiencing, whatever that this means. And it can have many, many different forms and shapes. Remember Psalm 22. It looks like defeat at that moment, maybe. Maybe it looks like everything is lost. Maybe it looks like everything is crumbling down. But it is not so. Because God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God will never abandon you. And God will see to it that all things, all things will work out for your good because you love him and he loves you. And that's the message that Jesus gave. And that's a message that sometimes we misunderstand so grossly that we create a God who cannot be trusted instead of a God who has promised deliverance even when there seems to be no deliverance. Even when we are blinded by all sorts of different things happening to us. That deliverance is there in him. 
So hang on to him. Hang on to him tight. And let him carry you in the palm of his hand where you're safe and never alone.